What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Not Gonna Lie. I'm your host, Jonathan Terry, and we've got a loaded show for you today. Connor Rogers of Bleacher Report, our unofficial NFL draft analyst, comes on the podcast, talks a little NFL draft, how it may be a little different this year with the quarantine for not only him, teams, players, all of the above. Everything is, is all, all shaken up. And I also ask him a couple questions about uh, some fits for teams, where some quarterbacks go, who falls, who, who rises, and especially that offensive tackle class. And we also have Aaron Leak on making his first appearance on the podcast. And we're going to be reviewing The Pharmacist. So I told you guys last week uh, to check out The Pharmacist. Watch it all so you could listen to Aaron and I talk about it. If you haven't yet, stay for this Connor Rogers part. Really fantastic. Great to have him on, like I said. But then pause it and go watch The Pharmacist. You're going you're gonna to want to have that information so that we don't spoil it for you. But before we get into those interviews, today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the easiest way to listen to an audiobook. And listeners of this podcast can get a free trial of Audible through audibletrial.com slash NGL podcast. That's all it takes. You get started a 30-day free membership and a free book download. So go to audibletrial.com slash NGL podcast to get started today. All right, let's get to our first interview with Connor Rogers. We are now joined with a recurring guest actually on the show, Connor Rogers from Bleach Report. Connor, how you doing? Good man, thank you for having me on again. Yeah, I, I'm thinking maybe we need to come up with a like a, a title or something for you when when you come on. How does unofficial NFL draft uh, expert sound? I I like that. Unofficial is a is a good way to put well, anything it, in front of expert. Well, yeah, because I don't. Well, it's it's more. I don't want to tie you you know tie you down into this podcast here, so we can't be you know because I have no money to pay you unfortunately. So <laughs> okay. that's that's more of where. Uh, where that unofficial title comes from. Uh, well, I, I like it, and I say we roll with it. Okay, sounds good. We're, we're here with our unofficial NFL draft uh, expert, Connor Rogers. So first things first, this quarantine has been uh, been going for, I think, what is it, 12 days now maybe? I guess different in different states. But talk to me a little bit about the NFL draft process. And for, for you first, and we'll get into um, the teams and the players, but talk to me about it for you uh, now that you're basically stuck at home? Yeah, so, I mean, the things that stay the same are is that I would like to have over 200 players ranked by the time of the NFL draft for our NFL draft show uh, live on all the Bleacher Report channel, uh, channels on social media. So that kind of stuff says, you know, stays the same. And when you look at it in that regard, you're, you know, keep it, you're doing data entry with the combine. You're watching a ton of film that you already haven't. Now that's been going on really almost a year now with this class. I usually start the draft classes film, an intro on it in May, the, you know, the year before that draft. So trying to catch up on really the day three guys right now, you're looking at a lot of the round and six and seven players and getting ready in that regard. Of course, a lot of different meetings uh, with our Bleacher Report team that can take place on conference calls, Zoom calls, Google Hangouts, all that kind of stuff. Because it is a three-day event. It's a live event. It's a really, really big production uh, with me. My co-host, Matt Miller, is on the desk with me and our, our, our host, Adam Lefko, who also does you know Inside the NBA on, on TNT. So he's a busy guy as well. So that's a big part of everything right now. Obviously, the show I do three times a week, Stick to Football. Uh, I go into a New York studio to do that, and obviously with the quarantine, I haven't been able to do that. So essentially working with an at-home studio right now, I have lights, I have a camera, 
We're still putting our podcast on YouTube three times a week, still doing all of that stuff. So overall, it's business as usual. I would say what is different now is there has been less to react to. Usually this is the month where you're hearing about pro day after pro day every single day. You're hearing about a little bit more team activity. Right now, it slowed down, and it felt like free agency was in a really tight bubble because all the guys that have lingering medical questions really can't sign free agency contracts because they can't go to team facilities right now to take physicals or update the team where they are with their rehabilitation. So I think in terms of the news cycle, while I'm fortunate, I I cover the NFL and there has been a lot of news because of free agency in comparison where things like the NBA, NHL and Major League Baseball have come to a complete halt in terms there's been more for the NFL, but not as much as usual. So it's very interesting. Uh, Obviously, I'm just thankful to be healthy and, and still working that's, you know, a very important part of this to me. And it's one of those things where it, it, we just have to wait it out because the more people that start to take this seriously, the quicker we have an end to it to get back to normal. Yeah. And like you said, uh, talking about with the medicals and that sort of thing, I think what it was Michael Brockers, right, flipped his, his yes. um, confirmation. So that basically created a trickle effect where the Cowboys ended up with Greg Zuerlein, in a sense, kind of a roundabout way, uh, just as far as cap space goes. So this obviously has a big impact on um, NFL players. But talk to me a little bit about some of these draft guys. Like you said, those day three guys, maybe some people that weren't invited to the combine. How does this, or even people that were, how does this uh, quarantine kind of shake things up for them? Well, it affects two people. The, the first you said, the guys that weren't invited to the combine, because just for, you know, the, on a surface level, I'll explain it like this. So the players that get invited to the combine go through medical checks at Indy, you know, every team gets to do a medical check on the player and do the reports. So all those players have medical checks. So the players that were not invited to the combine, they can do their medical checks with teams. If teams are interested in them, they could do what's called a 30 visit. You could bring in 30 non-local visits, 30 players that you're interested in and want, whether it's you want to get to know them from character perspective, you want to answer medical questions, or you just want to see them work out in person, or it could be a combination of the three. So one thing teams are doing right now is FaceTiming players, but it's not the same. You're not getting the medical records on the players. So for the players that were not invited to the combine that have lingering medical questions, the likelihood of a team taking them off the board is now greater than ever because teams can't answer those questions up close and personal. And they would rather wait till the UDFA signing period where the guys don't get drafted and become a street free agent and try to sign them then rather than using a draft pick and taking a bigger risk with a more premium asset. So it affects those players in a very negative way, and it's a really unfortunate process and part of this. The second group it affects is the guys that need rechecks, the guys that go to the combine, have lingering injuries, are going through a rehabilitation. The perfect example of a player like that is Tua Tungabailoa right now. He's a player that was at a certain point in his recovery at the combine and then was expected to be fully ready to go and have a pro day before the draft. Now, we've seen the video of Tua online moving extremely, extremely well. It looks like he's moving in the right direction at a rapid pace. But once again, there's teams that would rather, you know, go in there and see for themselves and get medical information on the players with their team physicians. So it's really, really interesting this year how teams are going to play this. And I explained this to somebody on the radio this week, this weekend. I was saying that I think the the bottom line is the ultimate truth is we're going to see more UDFA players out of this class make it in the NFL than we ever have before because players that should be drafted might not be drafted more like it's more likely that that happens this year 
just because teams don't want to take the risk and didn't get to do the visits on the players, because these are players that were not interviewed at the senior bowl, were not interviewed at the combine and so on and so on, because April or late March is really their time of the year to shine. So in a way, it's going to be really interesting to talk about this draft draft class three to four years from now when you look back and, and see all the hidden gems that came out of it. Yeah, and the, the final third group that I want to get um, just a little more background on is obviously the scouting departments of the team. So you mentioned it a little bit how their process kind of works. Um, so what what can they do besides uh, you know FaceTiming, Skyping players? Like this is, I mean, I'm assuming most of them have, have already filled out their draft boards at this point, right? Or what is what is this process now looking like with a month to go? So the problem is a lot of them haven't made their draft boards because there's a lot of these executives aren't together right now. Now, yes, they could sit there on Zoom calls all day. It's just not as productive in the long run. So there are teams that have not, there are plenty of teams that have not finalized draft boards right now. Uh, they're doing as much work as they can. Now, let's not forget, the, a lot of the pro sides and GMs are coming off free agency. So they had to put the entire draft process on halt for a little bit. And this is why you're hearing in the news that almost every single team requested Roger Goodell to move the draft back. They think they need more time, whether it was to let this clear up and, and hopefully the country gets back to normal eventually where they could do the pro days or do the player visits or even if it buys them more time to call their sources at the school and get more background information on the player. So for teams right now, they're behind this year more so than ever, where the teams that were ultimately, it, it comes down to a couple things. I could sit here and say the teams that were more prepared earlier that, you know, are going to be rewarded. That's kind of the way of life in terms of how things work. Mm -hmm. But those teams are often really just the teams that have the best budget for their scouting department, the biggest scouting departments with the most roles. A good example is the Cincinnati Bengals. And fortunately, their decision at number one isn't very hard. They're just yeah. going to take Joe Burrow. Mm -hmm. But they have a very small scouting department because they have a very small scouting staff. And that's because their their budget, they don't have a good scouting budget there because owners are cheap in Cincinnati. So it's very interesting to see, to me, to see how these franchises are divided up and who's coming into the draft and who did their homework and how much they're going to lean on you know, not just their scouting departments, but maybe external consultants throughout this process to get things right. So we've seen, like you, you mentioned, the Tuatunga Vailoa video of him moving around throwing. We've also seen Makai Becton pushing uh, a vehicle. So is this, are we going to start to see more and more of these type of almost viral video type uploads from players to improve their stock? Or uh, like what, what, what can players do at this point for themselves? Well, <laughs> One of the interesting things I've seen is uh, some ridiculous workout numbers players are posting. Now, they can make as much fancy graphics and stuff as they want, and a lot of them are players that obviously were not at the Combine. You need to see it on video. Teams are not going to read those graphics and just assume that that's true. That's gonna, you know, that's kind of an issue there. Mm -hmm. They're not just going to read those graphics and assume that's true. So. When you look at it, they need to see the video, whether they have a scout there, whether you know, whatever it is. When it comes down to it, in that regard, teams are, you know, players are going to post these workouts and they're showing that they're still training and they're showing things like that. But they're going to try to schedule as many of these FaceTime interviews as they can. But there's only so much they could do without team employees not being able to get to them and record these things themselves. So let's transition here into just a little bit of free agency talk, but ultimately how it shapes out the NFL draft. So a lot of most of the teams that needed quarterbacks uh, or besides obviously the the Bengals and Dolphins 
um, and Chargers have have filled those needs, but they're still, like I said, those three spots. So talk to me a little bit about are the Chargers, how set are they on Tyrod Taylor as the starting quarterback? Are they gonna, Will we see them take Jordan Love, Justin Herbert, or are they in the market for Cam Newton, James Winston? I think they're comfortable going into the year with Tyrod as the bridge guy in front of a rookie. So that what that means is at six, and they'll call the pivot, I think. I think they'll at least get an idea of what the cost is to move up. They're going to look at players like Tua and Justin Herbert. Let's just call it like it is. Now, they had a plan coming into this offseason, and they said if we can get Tom Brady, then great. We'll get Tom Brady. We'll do what the Bucks are doing now, the two-year window to try to win. And they've made moves on the offensive line to help, whether it is Tyrod, whether it was Brady, whether it is a rookie. They didn't get Tom Brady, and you saw them kind of happily sit down and say, we're good. And there was a lot of quarterbacks available, and there are now. You just brought two of them up, Jameis Winston, Cam Newton. I don't think either of them are going there, but it's it's interesting that they're one of the only spots that makes the most sense for those guys. The Chargers, after they did not get Brady, were like, we're good. We'll go into this draft with Tyrod. We have the sixth overall pick. We feel like we can maneuver if we need to. So for me, I look at it, and I think the Chargers are a very logical destination. You know, everybody points to Herbert because the Chargers are behind Miami. But if the Chargers want Tua, they can pay the price to jump Miami and get him. Yeah, no, I, I think it's just a matter, it, it feels like it's just a matter of who pulls the trigger first because... Who's aggressive? Yeah, yeah, this yeah. Is, I mean, something we saw a couple of years ago with the 2018 quarterback class was teams do this. The Jets moved from 6-3 to three in March because they wanted one of the top three quarterbacks. The Bills moved up for Josh Allen. I mean, teams were aggressive. The Ravens went back into round one for Lamar Jackson. So teams were aggressive to go get their quarterbacks. Yeah, and obviously Miami's got the first-round capital to uh, make that move. It's just a matter of essentially who does it first. So you mentioned three quarterbacks here, Joe Burrow, Tua Tungavailoa, and Justin Herbert. But a guy that had gotten a lot of love, uh, pun intended, in that top half <laughs> of the first is. round. <laughs> Thank you. I, I couldn't resist. Uh, got a lot of interest in that the top half of the first round. Now that teams have answered their quarterback questions, the Colts have traded back. Uh, different signings how far can he or is he going to slip do you think I think he might slip a little more than where we had him projected for a long time I felt like love was sitting in the top 14 picks over and over again I can see a scenario where he falls to the 20s because there's not this feeling that you have to go up and get him but I don't think he's falling out of the first round and with that being said this guy could easily still go in the top 15 picks by a team that wants to, you know, draft and stash him. That could be a, a Las Vegas team where their coach, John Gruden, is notorious for collecting quarterbacks. That could be a lot of different teams there that, that look in that scenario. So when you look at Jordan Love, I don't think this will be, you know, catastrophic to him. It might hurt a little bit, but I still think he's a player that, number one, he makes a lot of sense for the teams in the 20s. When you look at New England, they make a ton of sense. When you look at the Saints, they mm-hmm. make a ton of sense. Those are teams that, once again can draft him and they don't have to play him right away. And they feel like their coaching staffs can get the most out of his really, really impressive skill set. Yeah. And the nice thing about having you come on uh, is I get to ask you questions about my favorite team too. So obviously the Colts made a move to get DeForest Buckner, traded their first round pick to the 49ers, which I mean, I love it gets defense more physical, uh, but they do have the second pick in the second round. So there's two, two options uh, I want to bring up to you here. What do you think about the Colts maybe packaging their second and uh, maybe a, a third or fourth and getting up into that back end of the first round and taking Jordan Love or sitting back and picking up like T. Higgins, Denzel Mims, 
who's basically the best wide receiver we can get at the beginning of the second round? And or do you like the idea of jumping up to get Jordan Love? Well, I think at that point you decide what you are. Are you a team that wants to win this year and do everything you possibly can to give Philip Rivers the environment to win? Or are you a team that's one foot in and one foot out? If you're a team that's one foot in and one foot out, you'll you'll move up for Jordan Love because you're not only you know, taking the quarterback who's not going to play a part in your season this year, but you're also giving up an extra asset to go get him. Now, that's not to crap on that plan because I actually really like Jordan Love going to Indy. I just think if you're signing Phillip Rivers and you look at this team, you have a guy like Anthony Costanzo who played very well last year on his back, but he's somebody that's hinted at retirement before. How many years is he going to continue to play? You just look at it. This is a team that wants to win this year, and the door is wide open. The Texans have completely obliterated their roster over the years. I, I mean, Deshaun Watson's a great player, but the Colts are better. can be a better team than the Texans. Jacksonville blew it up. I mean, Tennessee had a phenomenal year, but they felt very flash in a pan to me where it's not impossible for the Colts to overtake them. I like sitting there and getting a guy like Mims that could be super productive from day one, This is a team that needs a wide receiver. I was not the biggest fan of the Paris Campbell pick last year, and unfortunately he just couldn't stay healthy to really contribute a lot last year. So you're you're not counting on him. I mean, you look at this wide receiver group. There's really nobody you're betting on besides T.Y. Hilton. So I would sit there and take a wide receiver. I might even take two if I was the Colts in this draft and really, really just go all in on winning this year and kind of kick the can down the road at quarterback. Yeah, no, I, I don't hate that that idea just because, I mean, something I've been saying over and over again is that it doesn't matter who's behind center, uh, guys, no one can throw a ball consistently to Zach Pascal, Marcus Johnson, Ashton Doolin, and expect to exactly. be, be successful in the season. Okay, so one of the biggest offensive tackle, like in recent years, I, ha- I haven't heard this much buzz about this group of offensive tackles here that we've got. So obviously... Uh, they're probably they're probably going top 12 maybe even earlier than that so first off first question as a Jets fan how confident do you feel that you'll be able to get one of these four guys uh, not I wouldn't use the word overly you know confident here if, if, as you know from me I would say it's 50 50 now it depends how you categorize this tackle class because I have it as Jedrick Wills is in a tier of his own then you have Tristan Wirfs and Andrew Thomas and then you have Mikai Becton I think those four stand in their own group up there at the top Whereas you're not going to reach on a guy like Josh Jones or Austin Jackson at 11. So the Jets, I do think one of those four guys makes it to them. But you have to wonder what is the backup plan if they don't. You're going into the season with George Fant as your starting left tackle. So it's interesting to me. I think it's extremely, extremely risky. I'm fascinated to see if they try to maneuver this board and what they could do in that scenario. So I think ultimately I'm not I'm not super confident that a guy falls there, but I still feel good enough about it where it should happen. But if you're a GM, you want to feel a little bit more concrete than that when you're going into the season with your 22-year-old quarterback that does not have the best pass protection in front of him. But when all is said and done, I, I think the Jets come out of this with one of those four guys I previously mentioned. Well, yeah, because the thing is, the way that – I mean, there's been a lot of mock drafts, obviously now because people uh, are we're getting closer to the draft to throwing it out more and more. And it's interesting to see how people shape it. So some of them put four four offensive tackles in the the first those top ten picks, and but then there's also those three elite wide receivers. And like, how do they get mixed in? So are you okay with going wide receiver there if a tackle happens to go or all four happen to go before? 
Easily, because this is still a need for the Jets. You look at C.D. Lamb, he's perfect for their offense. Same could be said for Jerry Judy. Obviously, the speed element of Henry Ruggs. So I look at it, and listen, they lost Robbie Anderson in free agency. The only receiver they have going into this year that's a proven guy is their slot receiver in Jamison Crowder. So you're really just shuffling pieces and trying to figure out what need you're going to solve right now. And I feel so good about those receivers' floors in this draft that if you come out of there with one of them at 11, you still have concerns about the pass protection, but at least your quarterback has a franchise weapon on the outside that he's throwing the ball to. So a couple more questions here. I know you got to run. So first things first, if teams don't go for a quarterback in these first two rounds and they're maybe waiting later on, is there a guy in those five to seven rounds, maybe even round four, that you think could be this year's Gardner Minshew? There's not for me. I've been very honest when I get this question. I, I don't. I, I look at this. I mean, Joe Burrow, Tua Tungavailoa, and Justin Herbert and Jordan Love are going to go in the first round. I like Jalen Hurts. He's going to go in the second round. You know, Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm are, are, are dart throws. They're probably going to go in the second round. You, there's really not a lot after that. You, you look at Anthony Gordon is in that group, James Morgan. It's just Nate Stanley. It is not a deep quarterback class. There is not a lot on day three. And I think you're going to see a lot of teams just opt not to take these guys. I really do. I think, will they be drafted? Sure. But will they be using round four or five picks on them? I don't think so. It's a weird year where we have some talent at the top of the quarterback class, but it fizzles out really, really fast. And that's why you're going to see those seven players go in the top two rounds. And then there's just going to be a complete dead period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so before we let you go, Bleacher Report is doing a Madden Goat Sim tournament, which is basically the all-time teams for all 32 teams in the NFL. It's going to be played out over Twitch over the next few weeks, I think it is. I'm just checking checking the list here. Um, who do you who do you have winning? Who's who's your two teams in the finals if you had to uh, predict? Because uh, and then who wins? I think the Cowboys are going to win this thing. Now, the Niners are another team that I, I find fascinating because of all the talent they have on, on offense. Uh, when you look at I need to check how the bracket was set up again because it, I don't think it's a stand like division by division kind of thing, although maybe it is. I, I know I'm broadcasting the Chiefs-Broncos game Tuesday night, so that'll be an interesting one because you have Mahomes versus Elway, which will be really, really fun. Those two teams obviously have a shot with the star power they have at quarterback. But when you look at it, I think this is the Cowboys, you know, thing to lose just because they are loaded almost at every single position group. And the same could be said for the 49ers, you know, looking at the AFC teams, I, I guess I would go with the Steelers yeah. to make mm -hmm. it to the final. I mean, they're another team. You look at the roster, they're so loaded. The defense is going to have 90 overall players across the board. They still have obviously, you know, Antonio Brown is his, off the rails as he's been, he still was a great player and is going to be in the Madden Goat Sim. So I, I guess I'll say Steelers-Cowboys in the final and the Cowboys win it. Yeah, so so I'm just looking at it here. I guess it is, so it is a worked out by division. So it'll be each, like, on each side and then AFC, NFC, um, and then they meet in the middle there. But yeah, so I think that's all the time we've got here. Connor, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, no problem. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, you can check out Stick to Football if you want more NFL draft coverage. They're going to be going all the way up to the draft. And then you have that live uh, draft coverage like you did the past few years, I believe. That's still going on, right? Yeah, of course. We're going to be doing uh, all three days of the draft on Bleacher Report. Rounds, you know, rounds at least one through five, maybe one through seven. But we go live. It's on all the Bleacher Report social channels. Uh, you can also find it on my handle, at Connor J. Rogers on Twitter. 
should be on Instagram. It's really across the board and, and I'm biased, but I think it's the best draft coverage there is across all three days. Yeah. I, I gave it a, a, a listen last year. Some great stuff, obviously. Uh, you know, you'll be able to listen to Connor, Matt Miller, Adam Lefko, um, and also check him out uh, live casting the the Twitch tournament here. So That's right, the, the, goat, the Madden Goat Sim. Yeah, so you can you can hear him in a lot of places this coming month. But Connor, thanks so much for giving us your time. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me, and we'll talk soon. All right. All right, we'll do. All right, we are back, and we are joined with a very special guest making his first ever appearance on the Knock on Eye podcast. It's Aaron Leak. Hello, glad to be here. Well, we're, we're we're happy to have you. Uh, we we have, like we said last week, like I said last week, we're going to be doing a review of the movie The Pharmacist. So, if you still haven't listened to it or still haven't watched it uh, at this point, go ahead and just turn off this this episode of the podcast. Binge yeah. watch. It's like four hours long. Binge watch The Pharmacist and then come back on at this point, um, and then we'll go from there. But before we get into that, yeah. we have two very important messages. One. Uh, wash your hands, stay home. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I said it at the beginning of the show. I'm going to say it again now. Very important. Uh, you know, we have to do what we can to slow down uh, the spread of the coronavirus or COVID-19. Um, and yeah, everyone can, can do their part in that way. And the second thing is we are again brought to you by Audible. Audible is the easiest way to listen to an audiobook. Maybe you're getting tired of listening to my voice, listening to podcasts, and you want to switch things up with Audible. So Audible offers our listeners a free 30-day trial membership. Go to audibletrial.com slash podcast and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. It's really that easy. Aaron, do you have a recommendation if they were to get Audible? Uh, what, what should they listen to on, on Audible? Yeah, that's a very good question. I would have to answer. Uh, they'd have to probably listen to Principles by Ray Dalio. Okay. It's a very good read. Principles, very good here. <laughs> very good here, yeah. Principles by Ray Dalio. See, guys, there's... You can start a lot of hobbies over this time while the, while we've got uh, really a lot of time in our house, and there's no better hobby than to read. And there's no better way to read than have someone read to you while you listen. So check That's out right. audibletrial.com slash podcast to get started today. Okay, let's get into this. So Aaron and I actually watched The Pharmacist a couple months ago. Um, yeah, and, and we both kind of came to the consensus that it's one of the craziest documentaries that we've ever seen. Yeah, it it really just takes like so many swings out of nowhere. Like it, it really constantly surprises you every time. Yeah, and it I finds a new way to freak you out. Yeah, well, the thing is with with most like in most situations, I'm normally a, a, a dramatic reenactment guy. You know, like watch mm-hmm. the dramatic series and then go back and see. Okay, so what actually really happened? But be, right. just because the the um, documentaries lack, like you said, that sense of like uh, fear or like just you don't know what's going to happen next but this this the pharmacist perfectly encapsulated uh what, what went down so essentially this the story follows one guy it's like this this one main guy wow i just totally lost his name here dan schneider is dan schneider which is also funnily enough the same name is like the guy who made all the nickelodeon shows from our kid from our childhood yeah that yeah that first off that threw us for a loop definitely when we, when we yeah found that out but essentially how it starts is uh, talks about Dan Snyder's family. His he so he's married. He has two kids. Uh, just growing up in in uh, suburban America, really. He got a job uh, as a pharmacist coming out of high school because uh, he didn't want to go to college, but he wanted to make a lot of money. So he went that route. And uh, a lot of the first episode really talks about his life and and um, 
you know how how his kids were growing up yeah real family i mean really nice guy like one of the nicest people Mm -hmm. like you can just kind of tell yeah his personality just kind of pushes through the screen um but then it starts to take a turn and aaron you want to you want to go from there yeah so um he's got a i don't know what is the name of his daughter is it it blanks when i come when i think about it but uh his son is also named dan schneider so it's dan schneider jr and um so Dan Schneider Jr. Like he he was in high school and he was in he was in college right yeah Around he was in college him. yeah he was in college at this time yeah he he was in college and he's still living at home and he he was like a little bit more withdrawn like lately and stuff and his parents were like a little bit concerned but like they didn't really think too much of it until one night in April of 1999 I believe it was April 12 correct me if I'm wrong but um his parents were woken up right around three in the morning and it was by the police knocking on their door and they're like, what, what is going on here? And the police said, um, Mr. And Mrs. Schneider, your son's been uh, shot and we need to go like, like see him. And so in the car, they were like, okay, like we don't know what's happening, but like, we're going to go ahead and like figure this out. You know, we have to see where our son is. And, stuff. and it took him about halfway through the car ride until the officer was like, no, your son's dead. And they were like, oh, oh, my gosh. And then they got home at night. And, John, remember what they said? Remember what Dan said when they were, like, staying in bed all day? Remember the, like, the most heartbreaking thing they said was? Uh, no, I, I wait, I don't remember off the top of my head, actually. Yeah. He, he said that, like, they honestly considered having, like, a mass family suicide. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. No. They could they couldn't see a future without Danny. Yeah, and and that kind of drove the thing that was, I think the most interesting is that throughout most of the series, like Dan Snyder never really got over his son's death. Like that's the yeah. thing is that like they awesome. they did yeah they did talk about like that that family. I remember that now the the whole like group family suicide and that was just insane. Like to to think about something like mm-hmm. that. And so he basically took that um that drive and that um you know, just that heartbreak of losing a son and defining who his son's killer was. And the yeah. the way that this, this uh, documentary took a turn is they're interviewing different people uh, in that community, like for the documentary. Uh, and they interview actually one of the kids that, that says, Hey, I know who this, I know who the murderer was. And you think, Oh, this is great. Yeah. They've, they've got it figured out. And then turns out just what, 15 minutes later, it turns out that the kid that came forward was actually the one that killed him. And it was just like, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you realize that this whole time you've been listening to the testimony of the guy that, that killed uh, this guy's son. Um, and yeah, it, and he was trying to cover his base. Yeah, and it was just it was just this long, drawn-out process. They had uh, this lady that, that wouldn't testify. I mean, even before that, just what he was doing for months on end, getting really little to no results, um, canvassing yeah. the community, trying because to Dan, figure it Dan out. Dan Snyder was working with the guy. Yeah. Exactly. Like they were literally like driving around interviewing people, and he was in the car with his son's killer. They're like, must. <laughs> yeah. Insane. Yeah. It was like it, just the way that you, when you think about it, I, I don't know, but they finally found somebody, um, a lady in the community who eventually agreed. I mean, it took what, like nine months, eventually agreed to. Um, yeah. Just stalking her, too. She was yeah. like, yeah. Genuinely uncomfortable anytime they showed up because she was worried about her own life and she didn't want to do like anything regarding that because she was worried it was going to put her and her family in, in Carol's way, which is like a very fair assessment. Yeah. 
she was literally like talking a documentary about how they like wouldn't stop calling her and writing her letters and like showing up at her house at like four in the morning just to like ask her to testify. Yeah, and they literally became obsessed over this stuff. Yeah, and and that I mean just just looking at that and suddenly you know you think okay he found his son's killer like he's okay like you know he's mm-hmm. he's been able to find at least some semblance of peace and then that transitions into basically him uncovering the beginning of the opioid opioid epidemic in New Orleans uh and yeah. in that region like he he notices they're just getting uh prescription after prescription from this one lady and he basically does his own uh undercover operation to try and figure out who this lady is goes to yeah. the FBI um tries to get them to like you know stop this lady figure figure something out you know just that sort of thing um and and he starts to think that he's being followed and you know just this whole time you're thinking about as he's starting to uncover like wow this is crazy especially you know where we are and how devastating the opioid crisis is today knowing it goes back 20 years and he was one of the first people to really people in the community to notice it and notice its effects um but that's not the crazy the absolute craziest turn of the story aaron i hope you know where i'm going with this one um was after they they figure out or the fbi you know they, they find a successful operation and they finally can shut her down uh the, mm-hmm. the next interview was the probably the craziest can, can we back it up a second yeah, yeah let's let's back it up let's I, build some suspense i just like i want to really like highlight how insane this operation was her clinic was like a night clinic. It wasn't a, a thing that was open in the daytime. She was literally like open from 12 a.m. to 6 a.m., which I've never heard of a clinic that does that. And there would be people with lines out the door, like it's Black Friday, trying to go in to get a prescription for opioids. And then it was like she she would like sometimes pay her staff in opioid prescriptions. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, and then and then the DEA agent like showed up at her house to like look around for things. And then there was like like empty bottles and stuff like everywhere and like her house is super messy and like this was like she actually had um saint parish bernard police officers yeah as standing guard <laughs> at the door. Like, standing guard at the door they never really addressed that either like there was never really an inside job like coming out of that but but yeah i just i just wanted to say that to like really highlight how absolutely crazy this operation that schneider found was yeah and uh, well he thought it was on his own he actually had the help of the fbi but yeah no it's quite a quite a turn and then yeah obviously the biggest interview of all which blew our minds yeah uh they so the i think it was episode three finishes with um all of a sudden you see the the doctor that was prescribing the prescriptions she sits down and, and gets ready to, to be interviewed. And we were just like, what? That That's insane. Like, that's crazy. There's absolutely no yeah. way. Um, but the way the access that they had, I guess it it's something that, that they're afforded uh, as this happened 20 years later. But yeah. I, don't, I don't think the documentary is as successful if Dan Schneider isn't constantly recording himself because there's clips of it. You know, that, that was the most interesting thing to me is over the footage he took with his video camera, um, they'd be running audio clips of him because he would record himself just for days, yeah. like months. Uh, I think even years at that point, like he'd had audio files set up where it was like most of what they needed to do or most of the research they needed to do was found in those tapes um, of, of him talking and discussing his situation. It included him believing he was being followed and just talking, yeah. going to the FBI headquarters saying like, you got to yeah, let me in, like I'm being followed. Yeah, it's like you really... 
I mean, it's one, he's a very animated guy. So it's one thing to just sit down and hear him talk about it, but to have those audio clips of him in the moment um, mm-hmm. is absolutely insane. But yeah, one of one of the wilder documentaries I've seen. Um, I I honestly don't know, Aaron. Do you have any other recommendations for for shows or or movies that we should review on here? I've got a few I'm thinking oh, of, but let's. I just I'm trying to think of things that we watched together. Mm. I mean, that's a good question because honestly, like now looking rec- reminiscing over the pharmacist, like it boggles my mind how insane all the events that took place and that happened. It's like, I don't know. Like, I, I'm sure it can, but like, I don't know. I don't feel in this moment that it can be taught. Yeah. There's by, not... like another talkie series. It's yeah. literally insane because they got, think about this. This is a documentary. It's a true crime documentary to a certain extent because they're trying to figure out the killer at first. Mm-hmm. And we didn't mention this earlier, but Jeffrey Hall, I think is his name. That's yeah. the guy who killed uh, young Dan Schneider. And He's actually on the documentary, like giving his part of the story. Yeah, this guy killed a man, and he's in the documentary about how he killed a guy. They got Doctor Cleggett, who's talking about how she like didn't fill these prescriptions, and it was like it was like all fake and stuff. And these are like real like protagonists or antagonists in in this narrative that they're building, and they're coming on to like talk about their side of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it really. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Yeah, it, it provides an incredibly unique perspective that it's like most of the time yeah. you just. You know the uh, the the antagonist is formed through the opinion of the protagonist. You know, or like people right. people that were close to the situation. But now it's like we really get to form our own opinion based on what we hear from both sides of the story, which is absolutely insane. But uh, yeah. any any closing remarks here before we let you go? Hmm. Um, I would I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, hundred percent. It's something you want to watch, like all in one go because i mean i don't know like it depends on how much time you have but i think that because we didn't watch it all in one go yeah but i know that like when he stops the, the whole next day i was thinking about it until we watched like the next episode they always like leave you on like, a little cliffhanger so yeah. it's, it's a very bingeable thing yeah it's no, only, like definitely. four hours long and really i haven't seen anything that compares to it personally but mm-hmm. i i'm not a huge true crime documentary guy so maybe there's some other stuff out there but like this is basically like if Ted Bundy was like alive. Is he alive? Uh, I don't think so. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. It's like if he was alive and then came on a Netflix documentary and talked about how he like killed people. Yeah. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Well, they have like the Ted I mean, Bundy. That would be a little more insane. They have the Ted Bundy tapes, I think. But, oh, yeah. I know. I Okay, so we're going to head out here. We're running a little low on time, but. Mm-hmm. Next week, Tiger King. I know a lot of people have already watched it, but we're gonna we're gonna figure it, figure it out uh, and and have our review on there, a recap of that. So Tiger King next week, guys, watch it now if you haven't already, because we'll be reviewing it next week. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you for for coming on, making your debut on the podcast. Oh, of course, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. All right, guys, you can check out episodes of this podcast pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. You can also use our Audible trial. Go to audibletrial.com slash podcast. You can listen to all our episodes in chronological order if you want to. Uh, just do whatever you can. Stay home, stay safe, wash your hands, uh, and together we'll, we'll beat this virus. So thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.